Hey everybody, this is Al Madrigal from The Daily Show and About a Boy, and you are listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. Enjoy. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Eddie Pepitone on choosing comedy over academia. I just couldn't deal with it, you know, my mind could not deal with the abstract nature of science. I was such an emotionally charged basket case, <laughs> like most comedians are. We'll hear more from Eddie in just a bit. As a special bonus interview, we talk to Matt Palumbo. Matt is a very bright young man. He is a college student, but he's already written two books. The second one came out back on December 6th, and uh, he's a really a, a bright guy, but he is a conservative. But get this, he's not nuts. Yeah, I'm in college, so I'm kind of the opposite. Uh, position you are. All my friends are leftists. So. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation with Matt. We also flash back uh, a couple of Christmases to a professionally produced parody song I wrote for the American Comedy Network uh, at the suggestion of my wife. It's really very funny. I think you'll enjoy it. But first, as always, fake news. <laughs> And now, fake news, me. President Obama met with Prince William this past week in Washington, D.C. President Obama remarked that the two had a lot in common. People think they are both monarchs who are, in fact, powerless and not born in the United States. The CEO of clothing retailer Abercrombie & Fitch, Mike Jeffries, has stepped down. The news was announced this past Tuesday, but wasn't clearly understood by reporters at a press conference as the music was so loud it prevented the announcement from being heard clearly. Residents of Lowell, Michigan were shocked when they received something other than a ticket after being pulled over by local police. Instead of a ticket and a fine, these drivers were given gifts. The gifts included restaurant gift cards, movie tickets, and Kevlar vests. A hotly disputed Senate report on the CIA's brutal interrogation tactics is tearing open barely healed political wounds, first opened after the September 11, 2001 attacks on the United States. The report found CIA tactics were more brutal than previously known and accused the agency of keeping the Bush, White House, and Congress in the dark about them, much as they did their terror suspects. Top lawmakers agreed to a $1.1 trillion government funding bill late Tuesday, just two days before federal agencies are due to run out of money. The negotiating breakthrough likely means the government will stay open as usual, avoiding a potential shutdown and ruining the Tea Party's Christmas. Baby's first flight took on a whole new meaning when a woman gave birth aboard a Southwest Airlines flight in midair Tuesday morning. According to Southwest Airlines officials, the baby was born shortly after flight 623's 624 a.m. Pacific time takeoff with the assistance of a nurse and a doctor who were on board the plane. Everyone is doing fine, and per Southwest policy, the parents were not charged for an extra carry-on item because baby fit neatly beneath the seat or in the overhead compartment. And that's been Fake News with me. Back in episode 146, uh, we were introduced to the writings of a young man named Matt Colombo, and uh, Matt came to our attention because Tim Slagle, friend of the show, who is, uh, I guess you could say, kind of a conservative sort, uh, just posted a link to one of Matt's articles, and the article, of course, was uh, debunking a lot of progressive memes, and when we looked at it, he was right on like nine to nine and a half of them. The, uh, the tenth one uh, about uh, the Icelandic banks is a bit murky, but go back to episode 146 and listen to that uh, interview with Kathleen Madigan. It's uh, one of our most popular episodes. Anyway, Matt and I have gone back and 
and forth uh, over the past couple of months uh, commenting on each other's stuff. And he's a really bright young man. And as I said in the intro, he's conservative, but he's not nuts. And in fact, I think you're really going to enjoy our talk with him. He's an economic student. I believe he graduates in 2015 or 2016, but he already knows, already knows more about economics than I do. So uh, we discuss supply side economics, the minimum wage, and a couple other things. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this. All right, joining us on BS Tape Recorder, it's author and economics student Matt Palumbo. Matt, how you doing? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Good. It's uh, it's nice to finally talk to you after going uh, with our back and forths on Facebook. Um, yeah, Twitter. Yeah. And Twitter. Yeah, I uh, actually discovered Matt, uh, folks, through friend of the show, Tim Slagle. I don't know if you know. Do you know who Tim Slagle is? No, actually, um, I don't think I've ever been introduced to him or anything, no. Okay, he's a, a comedian. Uh, and he is, uh, I guess you would say, more of a conservative, for, for lack of a better description. And he actually he just posted a link to one of your stories. It was uh, one where you listed a bunch of uh, uh, memes, I guess, that supported progressive positions, and you proceeded to debunk them. And uh, even though I'm a progressive, I appreciated your uh, meme debunking, because I hate bogus memes, no matter what they are. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think you took issue with I think one or two of the rebuttals. So I mean, we yeah, yeah. talk about that another time. Oh yeah, yeah. It was the, yeah, it'd be kind of interesting. If people want to go back, if you want to go back, I'll link to it on our Podbean page. The the, the dumb bit I did surrounding that. Uh, I think it was the Iceland. <laughs> it was half of the Icelandic banker one, is the yeah, only yeah. one I contested. But anyway, I do that a lot actually. Even with my uh, progressive friends, I have two that I went to high school with, and they post memes all the time, and uh, I always fact check them. And uh, unfortunately, they bat about ninety percent. They, uh, they, even even pretty, like the ones on like the Tea Party page are almost all false. So I mean, yeah. it's really bipartisan. Yeah, so. that is true. Um, so, so you're an author. You wrote a book called. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sorry, is it the heart of a conservative or the heart of a young conservative? I can't remember. Uh, the conscience of a conscience young of a young conservative. There it is. So, um, I guess this basic Topical question. Water title. Okay. So, so I guess the basic question is why are you a conservative, or what what made you a conservative? Because if we were having this talk. I guess pre-1980, or even in the 1980s, uh, it would be reversed. It would be the old conservative talking to the young liberal, and not right. the upside-down yeah. conversation we're having now. Um, I mean, in the book, I talk a lot about, uh, I mean, it started my interest in politics with kind of like the whole gun control debate. Um, I actually had to do like a paper uh, sophomore year for like a national competition, and uh, I think it was the longest paper I ever wrote, you know, at the time, but it was on gun control, and I was really fascinated by the topic. So I just kind of kept adding to it on and on over the years, and then I decided, you know, healthcare reform is a good, it's kind of a big debate right now, so I said, you know, why don't I try to do the exact same thing I did with gun control, but apply the analysis to healthcare. Then I started looking into other issues like tax reform and all those other, and similar things, and, and I just kind of became convinced that a conservative position would be preferable. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, uh, i got to say, I'm more with you than I'm again you on gun control, because here's my position okay. on gun control, is we're never getting the guns back. The, gen the mean, genie is out of the bottle. It, I think even if you argue that we would be better off with zero guns, yeah, um, it's there's just the problem, the enforcement problem. I mean, how do you well, yeah. get all 300 plus million guns out? You're, you're, you're never can. gonna. You're, it, it, I it, mean, yeah. people point to the United Kingdom or Australia yeah, as a successful example of gun control, but they have a lot less guns and right. their islands, so it's a lot harder to smuggle guns in. Exactly. So, so they've never had them in the yeah. first place. So yeah, and, and same thing with right. with Canada. So. Um, the only thing mm -hmm. I ask for people to do is just use some common S and sense. Yeah. Because statistically, if you have a gun around the house, it's it's more likely to go off than if you don't have a gun in the house. And that's you know, and there yeah, I've had this conversation yeah. with people before. If you in, if you're in an area where you're way far away from the police, like out in the middle of Texas, 
or you're in a mm-hmm. high crime area where you've had some break-ins, okay, I can see you wanting to get a gun. But in middle suburban mm-hmm. America like me, that gun's going to end. It can be used for tragedy more often than it's going to be used for crime fighting, just statistically speaking. Okay, I um, I mean, I don't know. Like, I remember in the in the first book, I um, there was one stat I looked at that you know, it was like a, a claim that like you're 37 times more likely to have the gun kill like cause an accident than to be used against a criminal. But I looked into like the methodology of the study, and I think they were looking at, like a very large percentage of their sample have like a criminal record. So I don't think it's really like, a fair comparison. But I don't know what it's like on average nationally. Okay. Like, now the, you're the, you're the, an economics student, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, mainly, I'm mainly finance, but okay. So um, I follow the economy and 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 economic news and things like that. But I'm still a layperson. Um, so uh, you're better qualified for me to answer some things then. Uh, but let me ask you this, the, the, uh, and we chatted about this on Facebook briefly, but I want to discuss it more here. Uh, Supply-side economics, uh, yay or nay? Uh, yay in the sense that I think taxes should be low. I think it's you know good for long-term growth, good for investment. Um, I think people are overselling it when they say, you know, if we cut taxes, it's going to raise revenue because it's going to stimulate the economy. Like, if I read a lot of Arthur Laffer's books, and the way he makes those claims is a bit deceiving. So, like, if we were going to project that, like, at a 50% tax rate, the government's going to collect a trillion in revenue, and with a 25% tax rate, they're going to collect $500 billion. If, let's say, that tax cut stimulated investment, and maybe we collected $600 billion, Laffer would look at that and say, look, we've collected an extra $100 billion. Those tax cuts raise revenue, while in reality, it was a $400 billion net loss. So, I mean, that's one way that kind of supply-siders mislead, but I, I still agree with sort, you know, parts of the philosophy that taxes should be low. I just don't think we should oversell it. Okay. And what about demand-side economics? In other words, uh, building infrastructure or, uh, well, I guess having ourselves a nice war is demand-side economics. That's not, the kind of, <laughs> that's not what we're looking for. Um, right. But, I mean, as you could say my philosophy of government is minarchist, you know, education, school, you know, roads, uh, bridges, highways, that you know, very basic things. I think... They facilitate long-run economic growth. I think they're definitely necessary. Okay, so let me ask you about two things that I don't think I've really ever discovered a, uh, a liberal or conservative position on, and the first one, well, particularly, because I've had people on both sides say yes and no. The Fed. Um, I think you know Milton Friedman's idea was instead of having the Fed control the money supply, if you just index uh, monetary growth to long-run economic growth, you would have you know on average, very, very little inflation. So I think that would be an interesting alternative. Um, definitely some services that the Fed provides provides probably could be privatized. You know, they kind of under they do a lot of check underwriting, so you could, I'm sure it would be very hard for a private company to do that. Um, I don't really buy into the Fed conspiracies, um, but I don't know if it's, it's really necessary. So does the Fed set our economic policy, though? Because isn't that what a central bank is supposed to do? like in Europe and in Britain and places like that? Yeah, definitely in terms of what interest rates are and stuff. Um, although, I mean, it, you don't need a central bank to set interest rates. You could just have you know, supply and demand for money and credit. That makes sense. So why is it that people, well, I guess folks on the far right think it's mm-hmm. some it's controlled by the, uh, by the Masons, and, right. some, and people on the left think it's just it's ineffective and it's just it's just the banks running amok and doing whatever the hell they want with really right. no oversight uh, except a, a rubber stamp from the government. Do we? I think they're kind of right in that aspect. You could argue. Okay. There's no oversight. Yeah, um, what what should we do if anything to fix the Fed? I guess. No, I honestly don't know enough about Federal Reserve policy to you know uh, really answer that. I'm, I'm 
apologize, but um, oh, that's fine. Again, yeah, you know more than I do, so okay, <laughs> you're yeah, the expert so we're here. The same page on that issue. <laughs> um, okay, another one I uh, baffled about. Again, I don't know. There's a liberal or conservative position on this. The gold standard. I understand uh -huh. why we went off of it, as explained to me on Planet Money, and why Britain went off of it in the 30s. Okay. Um, and my, I, I talked to an economist at my alma mater, Bowling Green, when I was working on another story. Just said, hey, you know, by the way, I'm curious, should we be on the gold standard? And I understand the arguments for, but I'm, what, what is your position on that? Um, I don't necessarily support the gold standard. Um, I mean, one problem is, you know, to keep prices stable, you need to increase the money supply to okay. account for increases in population and economic growth, and there's a funny amount of gold, so you can't do that indefinitely. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Um, so additionally, I, like, okay. some advocates of the gold standard will claim that, you know, on average, there's much less inflation under the gold standard than under fiat currency. But if you look at uh, actually like inflation under the gold standard, you know, years we find large gold reserves, there's very large spikes in inflation, and then years we don't find any, there's very there's uh, a lot of deflation, and it tends to average out to zero. But it's much worse to have really high inflation, a lot of deflation, than just a steady you know steady growth like we have now. Okay. So yeah. Uh, on health insurance, you said you had uh, done a paper on that. Um, where did you land on on our healthcare system? Uh, mainly for routine, you know, I kind of divided care into three categories, uh, routine care, uh, care for the elderly, and catastrophic care. Uh, mainly advocating a free uh, free market system for routine care, basically going to the doctor, that sort of thing, because I don't really see the point in buying insurance when there's basically a 100% chance of me going to the doctor every year. Um, so mainly free market for that, and maybe surgeries that are under a certain cost. Um, I think universal catastrophic insurance would be ideal to solve the problem of you know what if some homeless guy gets hit by a bus who's going to pay you know what does he do is he going to be bankrupt or what if you know just a normal person if they don't have health insurance what's going to happen if they have a heart attack I think right. universal catastrophic insurance would solve that problem and then as for care for the elderly I think Medicare savings accounts would be ideal um, I think it should be in the seniors' hands how they want to ration out their life care do they want to use their Medicare funds to extend their life a certain amount or do they want to pass it on to their grandchildren. I think it should be in their hands. I uh, saw this thing uh, on the CBC News website yesterday, that, uh, and they've done another story about it today, is that there's this big thing in Canada uh, now, maybe, that, that a good age to die is 75. And I'm like, no, nah, not for me. <laughs> yeah, not for me either. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I, I come from a long line of octogenarians uh, on, both, okay. on both sides, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's not, that's not going to work out for me. Sorry. <laughs> Gotcha. That may work for you up there, Abe, but not me. Um, yeah, not me either. Okay, so uh, what? Another thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, whenever I discuss things with conservatives, and you know, and people try to paint me as an ideologue, I'm like, well, there's. Just, I always listen to the experts, which is why I'm I don't you think of today. myself as an ideologue either, honestly. I don't think so either. No, not at yeah. all. Especially when I saw your uh, that one post, the, the original post I saw about the memes. I yeah, you debunked all the progressive ones, but you're a conservative, yeah. so of course you're going to do that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was for a conservative website. I get that. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like wouldn't. I mean, they obviously wouldn't publish something that's like any anti-conservative one. But I, I, we don't. I'm, I run a Facebook blog with a friend, and we do memes on both sides. Right. Time, so. so, but anyway, um, the one thing I always, the example I always give, and I gave this to my friend Tim Slagle, as we were talking about global warming, is I think we should listen to to the experts. And here's yeah. what, where I listen to the experts is uh, on economics. Is I heard this on Planet Money, and I trust mm -hmm. them, and they say, you know, ec economists on both sides of the coin, as it were. Uh, will say that you shouldn't tax corporations yes. at all. You should tax individuals. And I'm yeah, like, do you want me to explain that? That's yeah, that's counterintuitive to me. But if if economists say that, I'm like, well, okay, yeah, and explain that. So the reasoning is, I mean, 
corporate taxation gets a lot of support because people kind of picture, you know, it's a corporation paying a tax. And exactly. Even if, even if there's, there's all this rhetoric over whether or not corporations are people, but when it comes to taxes, people certainly don't think of them as people yeah. paying taxes. Um, oh, shoot. Sorry, it's increased. And one... Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah. Got, well, can you start oh, over? Because I, 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 you dropped out for like a second. Okay. I mean, I would make an analogy to property taxes. No one says, you know, it's a property paying the taxes. And, you know, I'm a renter right now, so oh, if okay. the property tax on this property goes up, I won't be thanking God that the property is going to be paying the taxes. I'll know my landlord will hike rates. So, well, you know, if you look at uh, the corporate income tax, what does a corporation do when their cost goes up? Uh, and most of it is... is in the so I've actually looked into a, a handful of studies on it, and it's like for every dollar that a corporation pays extra on corporate income tax, they reduce the aggregate wages of their employees by something like it's between 14 and 70 cents. So it's a pretty big range, but it, it does show they're uh, compensating for it by lowering wages. And then they also could raise prices to compensate for it too. So in the end, it is consumers paying. I mean, if you really want to tax the rich, it would be more efficient to get rid of the corporate income tax and then increase the income tax. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, see, that's the thing. So whenever I see people on Facebook saying, oh, GE pays 0% in taxes, right, yeah. uh, I'm like, well, you know, maybe they should. Honestly, maybe, uh, yeah, there what's was... His, um, what's his name? What's the guy, the I mean, GE the guy? Years, the recession, there was, like, some government accountability office report that claimed that, like, the average corporation only pays, like, 12% in corporate tax. Yeah. But the sample they were looking at, because it was a recessionary year, it was, like, a quarter of the corporations operated at a loss. So you can't pay taxes when they're operating at a loss. So it dragged down the average a lot. Yeah, so I'm saying if the experts say that, you know, well, then maybe GE really shouldn't be paying taxes, but Jack Welch should. Even though he's not in right, charge yeah. anymore, but yeah. he's the only GE guy I could think of. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> which leads us down to, uh, to uh, minimum wage, yay or nay? Uh, mainly nay. I, uh, I think the earned income tax credit is probably a better idea to raise the incomes of low-wage workers. Uh, it does it without the, uh, work to, or the uh, adverse effects on unemployment you see with the minimum wage. So what about the arguments that Bill Clinton and Robert Reich make that if you put more money into the economy that those people will spend it because, you know, they're not going to be able to save very much of it. And even if they right. do, that money's going to go to work too, isn't it? Um, yeah, so like if you look at, I think like I looked at an EPI report and they estimated that I guess like the minimum wage hike and I think it was, I don't know if it was 07 or 08 or it was 08 to 09, but they estimated that it, it like boosted purchasing power by like $5 billion, but it also caused a certain amount of jobs, so... Clearly, like even though there's a boost, net boost in purchasing power, it wasn't enough to offset the job loss. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there are other um, effects that are kind of overlooked in the wage debate. Um, for example, if we talk about youth or low-skilled unemployment dropping or increasing, I should say, when um, the minimum wage is hiked, but also there's uh, declines in youth labor force participation generally in years when the minimum wage goes up. So that kind of has the effect of masking the true extent to the decline in, in employment. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think there's something that needs more study because, yeah, I, I do hear differing. I know the, uh, was it the um, uh, Management and Budget Office did the, did the uh, study where it said it would reduce uh, jobs by like a half a million? Yeah, I and know the report you're talking about. I think they yeah, said like yeah. a hike to $9 would cut jobs or yeah. like 100000 or 200000 and a hike to like 10 10 would cut between 500000 and a million. I think that's the estimates they gave. 
Hmm. Yeah. What? What? But what I always say is, you know, the people that argue that if you, you know, the, a Big Mac would go would, would would cost you more. I always tell people, if you can tell me right now what a Big Mac costs without looking, you can continue <laughs> that bullshit argument. But um. <laughs> okay. Uh. Wow. This has been very educational. And um. So you are you working on another book? I understand or no? You're just trying to graduate. Uh, well, I have a second one out. I don't know if I actually mentioned that, but um. I actually am working on a third with a friend oh, a third, right okay. now. We're um. I don't know if you're familiar with the book Economics in One Lesson. Wait, what's the, is that the second one? Uh, no, it's um, it's a book from the forties actually. Oh, oh and it was, uh, yeah, it's an introductory economics textbook, but or not textbook book, but um, a lot of the examples given in it are obviously in the context of the forties. So we were going to try to rewrite like a new version of it, but oh. kind of with modern examples, modern studies, that sort of thing. Oh wow, that sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah, I actually need to get writing to that. But. Huh? I need to uh, get the gumption to write a book. I don't know what I'd write about though. Maybe bogus okay, Facebook I'll do your memes. <laughs> um, okay, so well, how do you find time to do that? We're going to school. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> it's mainly during summer and winter breaks that I get books uh, okay. written done. Wow, that's good, man. It's uh, so. What what would you like to do once you graduate the economics degree? Um, <clears throat> honestly, you can ask every student at the school, and they'll say investment banking. But like zero percent of the kids here actually go into it. So uh, I don't know. I might have to adjust that goal. Hmm. Could, yeah, um, I'm actually not 100 percent sure. Do one of those think tank gigs. I so I can definitely see myself doing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'd like to live in DC. I'll so try my own think myself. tank, and then you can be my conservative uh, guy in okay. think tank. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, well, I'm not sure when this will run exactly because we got Christmas coming up, and my mm -hmm. daughters and I are going to do this uh, silly. We're trying to do this silly uh, undercover boss Santa edition. But um, cool. I don't think they realize that the uh, time involved in producing such a, a, a thing. But uh, hopefully this will run by early January. I might run it next week. I'm not sure. I just have to see how things cool. go. But yeah, I'm actually, a... I'm going to D.C. this weekend. I do some radio interviews. Oh, so. awesome. Well, good for you, yeah, man. Yeah. All right. Well, terrific. See, this is the thing. I know they say, well, you know, uh, liberals, conservatives can get along. But, yeah, but like you and, and mostly my friend Tim Slagle, uh, you know, it's not the crazy people you see on Facebook uh, either yeah. way. That uh, I, I, there are a lot of things I, I do conservatives I do think are good. I think you know work is better than not working certainly. Right. Um, and you know and capitalism for all its faults has gotten more people out of poverty than anything else, mm -hmm. even though it could do a way better job in a lot of cases. I don't believe that we need to pay people crap wages in other countries just because we had that here in the 19th century. Okay. I'm like, well, we can do better than that. But you know these are these are details I think that need to be worked out. It's not overall mm -hmm. policy. You know I'm all for you know some capitali capitalism. Little regulation, and we're all good to go. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm in college, so I'm kind of the opposite uh, position you are. All my friends are leftists, so. <laughs> okay. Well, there <laughs> you go. All right, man. Well, uh, I g you're still fighting the good fight. Thanks. Even though I disagree with you a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right, man. Good, good talking to you, Matt. Good luck to you. Yeah, thanks. thank you for having me on. All right, bye-bye. Later. Hey, folks, remember this? Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this? We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out. 
And when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. Merry-Go-Round, unique fashions for guys and gals. And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at HomeShirts.com. Use promo code PFTR and save 10%. That's promo code PFTR and save 10% on any Home Shirts purchase. Eddie Pepitone is a stand-up comedian you've seen all over the talk shows and the cable comedy shows. He's also been on David Feldman's podcast quite a bit. He was a guest recently on Jackie Cation's The Dork Forest. He's also the subject of the critically acclaimed documentary The Bitter Buddha, which you can catch in Netflix. And his new CD is just out. It's called A Great Stillness. You can get that in iTunes or on Amazon, wherever you buy your audio products. Here now is your interview with Eddie Pepitone. Joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's Eddie Pepitone. Eddie, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Sorry, I just dropped. I'm sorry, I dropped your audio there. I turned down the wrong uh, knob for a second. I, I broke my mixer, and I'm having some trouble with it. Anyway, I'm uh, I'm good. You know, I feel like I kind of know you uh, from kind of hanging around with other people. I'm kind of friendly with in the comedy business, like uh, Jimmy Pardo and David Feldman. Uh, I know you uh, hang around with Feldman a lot. Uh, do you still see him? Yeah. Up? What happened? Uh, when did you When did you last see Feldman? He went to New York to work on a uh, Robert Smigel show. I didn't see him. I more uh, so uh, I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and then from there I started listening to his podcast. And uh, you're a frequent uh, yeah. frequent voice on the podcast, of course, Eddie Pepitone. So yes, um, I loved I love uh, David a yeah. lot. Yes, he's a he's a good guy. Um, so let's uh, start with you, though. Um, I heard you on Jimmy Pardo's podcast, uh, another friend of our show, and um, uh, I, I didn't really know uh, that much about you, and I found out a little bit. You're from New York originally. Yes, I am an East Coaster uh, marooned in L.A. Huh. And uh, I guess you, you grew up in Brooklyn, you were telling Matt, and then uh, you moved to Stanton Island which I guess at the time, even the late 60s, was kind of still considered the country or was kind of considered a rule. That kind of surprised me. Well, yeah, to my dad, who was a Brooklyn boy uh, moving to Staten Island, which was, one, at the time, was like the least developed borough, um, you know, as far as real estate. It was like a big deal for us going from, you know, apartment living to having... Uh, you know, a house, and uh, it was it was kind of rural. It was kind of rural there. You know, we played ice hockey in the uh, in the little wooded area, and that was unheard of in Brooklyn. So it really was like the country for us. You know, my mother said good night, John boy. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> so, were you interested in comedy early on, growing up, or did that come later? You know, um, as the saying goes, I uh, I really had no choice. I I. I was a comedian, I would say, from about, um, hmm, I would say, like, I started uh, just absolutely going down that path uh, when I was around 11. Okay. I know that's really early, but but I, I oh, just, no. uh, you know, I, I just knew 
that uh, I was a comedian and I, I I would be like the uh, the guy who, when we were standing around in Staten Island doing nothing. Now that I think about it, since Staten Island was so boring, um, I would stand around entertaining my friends, you know. So were you watching comedy on TV or listening to it uh, on records, or were you just independently just the funny guy in the group? Yeah, I, I was definitely influenced by... Um, by different comedians I saw. Um, I, you know, you know, some of my earliest memories of comedy were, were definitely like uh, Bill Cosby records and George Carlin and uh, watching Jackie Gleason on The Honeymooners. I, I loved him. You know, I loved that show. I remember growing up, things like that. And so, did you have any other career path in mind uh, coming out of school, or did you think, I'm going to find some way to use comedy to make a living? Um, I, yeah, the latter. I, I always knew that I, I, I had to you know, use comedy. Now, my dad was not into it. My dad was like a dean, you know, and uh, a teacher, and he wanted me to go uh, into... Uh, you know, a real, a real job, as he put it. Um, and he, 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 he like, he like, uh, steered me into the sciences, but I just, I just couldn't deal with it. You know, my mind could not deal with the abstract nature of science. I was such an emotionally charged basket case, like most comedians are. Well, yeah, that's part and parcel, as they say. Uh, so, yeah. did, did you uh, have any kind of a, a job before trying comedy, or did you try comedy? As oh, as you yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's it's been it's been it's it's been a it's been an arduous uh, journey. But you know, I I always had to kind of support myself before I really started uh, making money in comedy. So I uh, I was waiting tables for many years uh, in Manhattan. I I say to people, I've uh, I've been fired for more from. I've been fired from more restaurants than I've eaten in. Huh. I was a terrible waiter. I sanded floors and installed hardwood flooring for a couple of years. That was the craziest job I ever did. Um, you know, I did some construction work, uh, stuff like that. The, the only work I couldn't deal with was office work. I, I was absolutely horrified by going into the same cubicle. <laughs> Day after day, I found that really uh, threatening to my sanity. So when did you first try stand-up? In New York. Yeah, and, and how old were you? Um, I think I was, I think I was about, I finally got the courage to do it. And, and, and it really, I was, and I, and I tell people this, you know, I, I really uh, had a lot of, incredible nervousness um i would throw up before shows when i first started and i think i started when i was around 17 or 18 i finally got the courage to go on stage and how did that go does it was it some some people say oh immediately they knew they were at home other people were like oh it, it went okay I, but it took I, a while didn't go that way. mine didn't go that way it was uh it was uh it was um it, it, I, I thought I was funnier in my head 
than I was on stage. Um, it took me, it took me a while. I don't know, you know, it took me a few, a few years to connect um, my my whole uh, comedic thing. You know, I, I mean, because I, I was too, you know, you know, it takes a long time to be comfortable in your own skin, basically, I think. Um, and to be able to just stand in front of people and be yourself, because that's when you're funny. You know, um, I was never, and I've never been like a great one liner writer, like let's say David Feldman. I'm just more about, uh, being in the moment and kind of, uh, revealing what's going on with me. And, uh, that's that's really what I do, you know, just kind of, you know, what I'm angry about in the world and uh, putting it on stage, you know. I, I alternate between what I'm angry about in the world and what I'm angry about with myself. And uh, it took a long time, actually, because I, I did stand-up for a couple of years, and then I had to uh, stop doing stand-up because it was so frightening to me. And I started doing uh, sketch comedy and improv comedy because I needed to be with other performers. Then I went back to stand-up. Oh, okay. And, uh, so it was a long road, really, for me. I, it took me a while. So uh, on stage these days, um, it, uh, what would you say is the balance of like, you know, life stuff versus you know, more sort of social, political observation? Yeah, um, you know, I try to, I, I, you know, you know, I find that to be, to, to, to really scold things, or to really criticize things politically, you have to balance it with um, uh, kind of going after yourself and, <laughs> you know, exploring your own emotions and laying your your, your soul bare because I, I don't think people like to be preached to that much because I'm I'm really su- you know I'm just super angry at all the corporate. Well, yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. On. So, I, I I I try to I try to talk about how flawed I am, you know, and then talk about how flawed, you know, the quote unquote system is, you know. Well, when you get so a- I don't I, I don't know. It depends. Like I just had I I don't know if you've seen the special I did on uh, Netflix. Uh, we are oh. it is on our list. My wife loves to watch. Uh, stand-up comedian stuff on the weekend and that is at the, that's the top of our list i figured i'd listen to your um the podcast with you on jimmy pardo's show first cause i haven't heard from you in a while having not been on feldman's show and feldman you know kind of doing different things that uh i figured i'd listen to that first and then i'd and watch the stand-up with my wife because she likes watching uh the stand-up specials so right um so b- speaking of things like working with feldman um is uh, when you get to, some, to do something like that over a period of time, does uh, does it kind of dial back some of the political stuff on stage because you are able to flex it uh, in that arena, or is it just a different way of uh, commenting on s- some of the same issues? Uh, um, I I really didn't understand the question. Well, when you when you were like working on with uh, David on his show and turning up there and kind of talking about politics and society and, and, and the corporate world and things like that. Did at the same time on stage, were you talking about that less on stage because you had a, a platform through like the podcast or 
Uh, you just was it just different? No, 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 no. The podcast. I do so many podcasts, and I haven't done David's podcast in in a, in a year or so. Yeah. Uh, but um, no, no. What I talk about on stage, uh, you know, doesn't. It, 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 it's it's kind of all in the moment for me and what I've been thinking about and how the news affects me and what I've been reading. You know, I get supercharged by reading different authors. You know what I mean? Like if I like my favorite political uh, critic is a guy named Chris Hedges, and if I read a Hedges article that day, um, I, I you know it just may inspire me to just talk about stuff because um, you know I or, or if there's a news item that really angers me then I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it you know that night on stage regardless of whether or not it's been broached on any other podcast because the podcasts are great and everything but they're they're you know they're not done in front of a live audience usually yeah. and there's something about you know expressing yourself in front of a live audience you know what I mean that's uh, a lot different than a podcast. So there's always this interplay with people, you know, that really uh, fuels me. Well, and you're, I would say, more a more boisterous guy than most performers. Um, than I'm more what? A more boisterous, uh, louder than, say, I don't know, a Henry Ford. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even a Jimmy Pardo, which is just, just, just fast-paced. Do you find that when you are talking about those kind of topics and the audience is going along with you, do you are you able to reach in at that moment and pull out, you know, maybe some things you hadn't even thought of until that moment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that's the, that is why I do it, you know, and that's why I I love doing it in front of a live audience because uh, there's something about you know ranting in front of people. And uh, it really is a dialogue. Like, you, you see how they're feeling. And, and if they're laughing at something I'm saying, you know, whether it's, you know, some topic, then I know I'm on to something. And it's interesting when you're alone and you're trying to write stand-up or, or on a podcast just talking. And, you know, you, you, you don't get that kind of interesting uh, feedback. And, yeah, and, and so I'll, I'll definitely explore more things in front of a live audience. That's cool. So uh, what are your plans? I know you have the, the specials on Netflix, and you have some other things in the works. What's coming up for you apart from touring? Because you haven't really toured much, have you? At least like Midwest-wise. I, yeah, I, I toured a lot. You know about the movie about me, right? The documentary? Yeah, I heard him talking about that on uh, Never Not Funny. The Bitter Buddha. So I toured a lot with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I basically was a New York, L.A. guy and doing a lot of... TV and now I am touring. You know, uh, you know I'm in Portland right now doing oh, yeah. him. Then I'm coming to you guys, and then I'm going to Maui doing the first Maui comedy festival. Oh, cool! And uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I I've got a couple of things lined up, but uh, you know besides the touring, um, you know I I just want you know I just want to put together another hour special um i want to continue to write you know you know it's so funny being a comedian as far as like all the venues you can do you know like uh short stories books writing performing you know um so but but that is funny you know like what like what are your plans like i i just kind of you know i just kind of see where the comedy 
takes me, you know. I'm I'm trying to develop a, a television show right now, um, uh, pitching one to uh, Tim and Eric's production company, oh, things cool. like that, you know. So there's always stuff I'm doing. Awesome. So how long will you be touring? Uh, because like I said, we haven't they haven't seen you up in Minneapolis. I'm down here in Cincinnati. We haven't seen you down here before. Will you be making it our way, you think? Or are they just kind of... Where are you? Cincinnati. Oh, you're in Cincinnati? Yeah. I thought you were in Minneapolis. No, this is for Minneapolis. I write for the paper there, but um, yeah, this... Uh... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I would love to do... I would love to do... Uh... Cincinnati um but uh right now you know you know I don't have any I don't have any bookings in Cincinnati but uh, you know you know the way it's been going for me since my touring now is opening up I'm I'm sure I'll be doing uh you know all, all the all the all the good clubs and stuff so hopefully I'll be doing oh, cool. it soon awesome well great man well it was great talking to you I got a lot of good stuff for uh the piece for City Pages and for the podcast of course and um like I said yeah hopefully we'll see you down here in Cincinnati soon and uh, look forward to hearing and seeing more of you, uh, all, all all the podcasts and uh, Netflix and everywhere else. Yeah, thank thank you, PF. Watch the uh, watch the special. We're um, going and to tell me what you think. You We're can either email me or whatever. But okay. I've gotten I've gotten really good uh, feedback from it, and I think you'd like it. Cool. All right. Well, I'll, I'll anxious to see what my wife thinks. She's a tough room. So we'll, uh, we'll uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, so I hope she, she's political. If she, <laughs> if she, uh, if she digs it, man, and you're you're on the right track. All right, well, good talking, Eddie. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thanks, Pia. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Eddie Pepitone for being on the show. You can find all things Eddie Pepitone at eddiepepitone.com, including tour dates, how to find his videos and his new CD and all that stuff. Thanks again to Matt Palumbo for being on the show as well. The show ran really long. I apologize uh, for keeping it so long. We're just going to get right to the final song that we're going to play out on. It's uh, a little uh, Christmas parody song I wrote a couple of years ago. I was driving around town doing some Christmas shopping. Wife calls me on the cell phone and says, I've got a parody song idea for you. Hey, Regifter. I thought, that is genius. Came home, wrote it, sent it to the American Comedy Network, and they produced this so long, and thanks for listening. Ha!